Welcome to Seeking God's Grace podcast, a place to share stories about life, faith and passion. My name is Grace and I am a sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth, or as some prefer to say, I'm a Catholic nun. I hope that this podcast will help you and me to find God in everyday life experiences and to understand God and yourself a little bit better. Let's talk and seek God together. I am sitting here with one of the fellow sisters of my congregation, Sister Jean. Good afternoon, Sister Jean. Good afternoon. (laughs) Well, I'm fine. Thank you, Sister Grace. That's great to hear. I ask you to have a chat with me because you are inspirational in many different levels of our life. So thank you for making time to be here with me this afternoon. That's my pleasure. I usually start with a little bit of the introduction or bio of a person. And I know some things about you, but I thought that maybe this time we will do something different. I will ask you to tell us what are the moments of your biggest pride and joy as far as uh, your professional background? Well, I think the best job I ever had was career development at Mater Dei College. Um, I really enjoyed working with the children and the parents to try to help them find the right possible thing for the students. Prior to that, um, I'd say the Glitchbuster program at St. Andrews, where I was working with students on one-to-one after I had acquired um, ESL background. But it seemed that even though we had almost 77 different nationalities at the school and a lot of ESL students, it was really average students that were coming to my Glitchbuster program to help them with essays or um, their English or their science or whatever it was, anything except math. Math was not my area. I taught primary school for quite a while. All up, I had about 40 years of experience in a classroom. Thank you so much for those examples. You almost jump into the topic, first topic of our conversation about your passion for career development with students. But I would like to go a little bit back. Mm-hmm. Back to the beginning. Where were you born? Which country? I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in the United States. Um, my parents were first-generation American, but my grandparents came from Poland. I grew up in a Polish parish, Holy Family Parish, in Lawrenceville. I had my communion and confirmation there, and uh, then at eighth grade, we went to Mount Nazareth Academy, And that's when I decided to become an aspirant and board at the school. So I entered the community at 16. And um, then I was privileged to go to Rome for my novitiate. And so I spent 18 months in Rome during my novitiate. When I came back, I was working in Michigan. And then finally, I was sent to Holy Family Institute, which was for emotionally disturbed children. That was my last posting in in America. And then I came out here to Australia in 1972. I know that in this time of your journey in life, from family life to consecrated life, life in the community, you have done a fair bit of study. Mm -hmm. So what study have you accomplished back then? 
One professor said that I had more letters after my name than the alphabet. There was bachelor studies in Michigan, then master studies over here in Australia, where I did a master's in guidance, and then I also did my master's in career development here at Edith Cohen University. So most of my master's degree work was really over here. The bachelor and, and preparation for teaching was in the United States. That's amazing. Thank you so much. This always brings the richness to our experiences, I believe, when we live in more than one, one country. country. That's when true. we uh, really experience more than one culture, because mm-hmm. I always say that, you know, uh, language, it's absolutely much more than just um, the collection of words and grammar. This is really a culture that we're learning when we're opening into possibility of learning different language. But I want to stop on this language uh, topic for a very short while. Is there or was there a difference for you when you first arrived to Australia for an American person to hearing Aussie language and, and the memories from that time. Oh, the first six months I had to keep saying to people, pardon me, would you please re- would you please say that again? Because I couldn't pick up what people were saying uh, unless they repeated it twice. However, the one thing that was really stood out is when Australian children sang in choir. In choir, you get a different timbre of language and diction that is much, much better than, you know, the regular speaking thing. And so I always enjoyed listening to children's choirs or the choir singing. Uh, That was really interesting. When I was at Holy Family School, I was also able to um, learn a bit of Japanese. And living in a community where our sisters speak Polish, I decided that I would at least take Polish lessons in order to be able to understand the sisters. Now, I can understand Polish, but I cannot speak it very well. So, yes, picking up languages, and as an ESL teacher, that came a little bit later. There's a whole story to that. But it helped me to understand the difficulties that people learning a second language go through in order to be able to speak English or whatever the language is that they need to speak. It helps people, I think, it helped me not to be judgmental when people are making mistakes in English or when they're saying prayers and it doesn't sound right or whatever, to make me realize that I can't do some of the things that these people are doing. How beautifully said, not being judgmental, appreciating the fact that other people actually can do more than you do uh, by the fact of having another skill in their That's life. Right. I love this, that, that you were able to say it so honestly. But I want to bring back one story which you told me or we heard in the community a couple of times about this uh, you know, adjustment to the culture. Would you like to recall the story of bringing a plate to a party, please? Oh, sure. Let's see, I was in Canberra at the time and I was invited to my very first meeting of teachers and parents, I suppose. I don't remember what the meeting was. And I'm running around the house looking for a dish. The superior sister, Ermina, comes up to me and she says, Sister, what are you doing? I says, well, I'm looking for a plate. And she says, a plate? What do you need a plate for? And I says, well, they said to bring a plate, so I'm, I'm going to bring one. And she says, Sister, they don't just want you to bring an empty dish. They want you to put something on it. 
So I says, oh. <laughs> so we did. I think we found some cakes or cookies or something, and we did put them on, and I took that as the plate. Another one is, I can't call you. Now, the difference between call and ring were very important in 1972. And this one um, person that I needed to speak to, she was someplace far away at that particular time, and I asked her to call. And I'm using the American word call to mean get on the phone and please speak to me. And she understood it as please come down to the house and ring the doorbell and come in. So in the end, she did ring on the phone, and that's when I learned the difference between call and ring. You reminded me about the story when I was working in before-after-school care shortly after my arrival to Australia. One of the pupils in our place asked me, Sister, can I have a biki? And I was mortified. And I was thinking, what is biki for heaven's sake? And so finally, I got into the other carer and I said, you know, she wants biki, but I don't know what it is. And she said, well, here is the jar of biscuits. Just give her one. <laughs> so, you know, biscuit, biki, I don't think that they are so close to one another unless you know no. yeah. the place, unless you know the abbreviation, unless you know that when it rains, you bring broly, not umbrella, then you wouldn't be able to cope, actually, in the different culture. No. I think I think sport, too, is another another introduction into culture. Um, one of the things that I got interested in was cricket. And although I only watched the international team because you can't, I don't have time to watch everything else, but it was being able to sit down with one of the, the Australian sisters that we had in our community this one day and actually watching the game with her and having her explain it to me. A couple of years later, our school wanted to have all of the teachers involved in sport And I was able to get into a group where it was going to be indoor cricket because I had cancer at the time and I couldn't be outside. So I took an in-service in cricket so that we would be able to teach it and had that going as a group. Our group did pretty well. When I went to Mater Day, I had the opportunity of actually going to see the ashes. Now that is the thing in cricket. It's the biggest things that you can come other than the World Cup. That was a real experience to actually be on the field and be able to see what was happening. But I preferred seeing it on TV instead of being at the field because on TV you see all of the different things that are happening because you see that on the screen. Whereas in the field you have to be able to to kind of imagine stuff because you can't see as far. Now I'm having a new little thing going and that's going to be trying to learn a little bit more about soccer. Our Matildas are doing great. But the only thing I knew about the first game that I watched is is that you've got to get the ball in the goal. So I'm looking a little wee bit more closely at the rules right now so that the next game that I watch, which is on Saturday, you know, vying for either third or fourth place, to be able to know exactly when a foul is being committed because I have no idea what I'm talking about. Go, Matildas. And Sister Jean was saying, uh, what is the difference between watching the game on TV and watching live? So our listeners do not see Sister Jean face as she speaks about it. I do see her and you should see her passion and her enthusiasm. I can see teacher in you, Sister Jean, and I can see how it is in your bloodstream to actually uh, not only teach, 
but to see the wholesome picture of a person with its hobby, with their natural skills, talents, and also what people could be, should be, may be capable of if they will develop some of their skills more. One of your biggest passions in teaching was the career development. Let's talk about that. Yes, that was a really tremendous experience. I was stationed in Western Australia and it was decided that I would look for the job at Mater Dei College. So I go there for the interview and we're sitting there and we're talking and I come home and and a couple weeks later he calls me up and asks me if I would be willing to accept the job there at at Mater Dei. And I says, yes, I'd, I'd be happy to. After a couple of weeks, I was there at the start of the school year. Well, he asked me if I would work with the business teacher at the time. She was doing the career work as well as doing the business work, and she wanted to really work with her department totally rather than doing the careers things. And so she looked at me and she says, would you be willing to take on the careers advising? And I says, well, yeah, I would be willing to take it on, but... I intend to go for studies in that because I am not going to take young people's lives in my hand and not know what I'm supposed to be teaching them or telling them. So I toddle off to Edith Cohen University, who was giving the online course at, at, in career development. And the only thing that I had to do was go down to Melbourne for the course in counseling because you cannot teach counseling online. In counseling, you have to be actually in the situation. But the rest of the stuff was done online, and it was really wonderful. I, I enjoyed the schoolwork. I enjoyed my work with the children. And I learned an awful lot along the way. One of the things that I learned very quickly was is that it was important to sit down with both parents and the student at the same time and have a career development discussion with them. Because when I first started out, I was just working with the students. And yes, we would spend an hour or two and we would be talking about this, that, and the third thing and come up with an idea And then the parent will come and say, but that's not what I want for my child. And so that was like a whole bunch of wasted time. The students at that level have to be supported by the parents or they cannot get further. Okay? So that's when we started the career development idea of having both parents and students working together and with me trying to find the best possible thing for what the Holy Spirit put inside that child. Because each of us has a set of gifts. God, When God creates us, he creates us with a set of gifts. Talents and skills, talents are there. Skill is something that is learned. And then our value system, what, does, what do we think is important? And that's really important when you're looking for a job too because you've got to find a company that will have your same values, not be working against the value system that you have or else you're going to be a very unhappy employee. We also had a tremendous program at that school. There were nine schools that were involved in career development skills and technology. And those nine schools were actually worked, supervised by careers development people that helped the students get jobs and also helped them to enroll in certificates with TAFE. So that was another thing. So that over year 11 and 12, those students were actually doing vocational training. Now, my job was really working with the younger kids and also a sort of supervising this other part 
where if the student came to me and said that they wanted to do this, that, or other thing after year 11 and 12, I helped them to find courses that would, that would actually fit. Now, when students went on work experience, especially in year 10, we had a one-week work experience that they had to find for themselves. And when they would come back, I would interview each student and ask them how the work experience went. And if they would say, oh, it was all right, I'd say, no, we have to look further. It's got to be passion. Because if it's passion, they're going to really, really work at it. Um, And besides that, they'll be happy in doing it. However, there is a point at which, like if you're preparing this student to be a doctor, you you can't put that student in a medical center with the confidentiality that doctors have to have. They don't, young students don't understand that. But then you take a look at all the different skills that they're going to need. All right, as a doctor, they would need to learn how to listen to people. They need to learn how to be committed. They need to learn how to study. They need to learn that there's just so many things that a doctor does that they they have to know. So you might start off with having them go to McDonald's, some kind of retail where they have to learn to listen to people and actually get the order straight. That is a, a big thing. So even if that work experience was only one week or two weeks or even a month, they would be learning something that would help them to get to their goal. If I may butt in at this point, I think that hopefully some of the students, previous students of Sister Jean are listening to it, or people who were fellow teachers at the time when she was also at St. Andrews uh, High School, just across the fence from where our convent is. But what I wanted to say here is, as I hear your story and your explanation, I think about a certain luck in our upbringing on the children, mm-hmm. uh, which you describe so precisely in the stages and in the process that the young person needs to go through in order to actually utilize this person's best predispositions, best skills that this person has. Isn't it? something what is close to your heart? Yes, it is. I think right now our society is raising a bunch of snowflakes in that students are not told that they are not doing a good job at a particular particular something if it is not a good job. But what I am saying, sometimes you do need to struggle with something. Struggle is good. We we think that everything has to be easy. No, struggle is good because in struggling, we we become stronger. And I'm not saying that you struggle to the point of being exhausted either or, you know, so dispirited that that you can't do anything. That's not what I'm, that's really not what I'm saying. Just because something doesn't come as easily as you would like it to come, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't be giving it the extra effort that it might need in order to learn it. And, you know, it's really an accomplishment I had one student that I've been tutor that I was tutoring that wasn't really good at this one particular subject and he was needed it for the HSC. I was so proud of the fact that he hung in there throughout that entire year trying to learn that particular subject, doing the best he could, you know, and I don't know whether he passed it or not because I didn't ask that question, but it was the fact that he struggled with it and held on to it until he accomplished what it, what he needed to do as best he could. And that's what I think we need to have our students learn to do. They need to learn to do that. They also need to learn, I think, that, and parents can be a very big help with this, 
is the interest of the students. For example, a student that is interested in art or a student that is interested in music or a student that is interested in airplanes, for example, or playing cricket, they don't have to be perfect at doing that. They just have to enjoy it at a certain stage, you know, like especially when they're younger, enjoying the game, enjoying that, learning how to work with a team, learning how to win and lose. You know, our Matilda's just lost the, um, the game that they played this week. But yet, I don't think the nation could be prouder of our, of our young people because of the way they not only lost as good sports, but they're also picking themselves up and going on to the next game. And, you know, and not thinking that they have to win everything. They don't have to win everything. They have to plainly just go and develop their skills in that particular thing and learn for the next game, learn for the next time. That's, that I think is really important. That's beautiful. I was making a couple of notes as you spoke. Uh, never heard this expression before. Uh, the society that creates snowflakes. I think there is a lot of wisdom in your explanation in that. I love the fact that you said the struggle is good, that the struggle is powerful. And I think that sometimes we are scared of actually using that. We are all, you know, it's all about me and it's all about flawless uh, life experience that doesn't bring any pain this is not real is no, it that's no, not real and you also uh, made the beautiful highlight how important is perseverance in young person life and i consider you a person of perseverance you are always determined to do whatever you are doing i remember and i can see you as uh, still remember you as a teacher in the role that you explained but i also know you as a person who say you know what grades the career in teaching is coming to an end for me I need to retire. But remember, retiring is from and to. Would you like maybe to elaborate a little bit more? What do you mean by that, please? Sure. When people retire from, they're retiring, uh, like in my case, I was retiring from a classroom. That was the first retirement. And, you know, I had always wondered what I would do when I could no longer be in the classroom. I really enjoyed being in the classroom, okay? Really enjoyed it. And yes, I'm not, I'm not saying that I enjoyed everything I did in the classroom, but I really did enjoy teaching, and I enjoyed communicating with the, with the students on anything, whatever it was, and getting excited about that. When I got sick, I got cancer, and I was unable to actually be in the classroom anymore because it would cause too much hassle between going to doctors, trying to take care of the cancer, and trying to get well, okay? And that was when I first started to realize I've got to think of what I can do to still be productive. Productive, by that I mean still being able to help people as well as myself do something that will actually make a difference to them and to me. And... At that particular time, I was also working as the religion ed coordinator. So even though I was working with that, I tried to stay with that job because of the fact that that was not going to cause too much. I would have more freedom than I would have in the classroom, okay? And then after that, that came this glitch buster thing 
where I was working with students on a one-to-one, and that was profitable both to them and to me. You see what I mean? And still I was teaching, but I was teaching on a one-to-one, not managing an entire classroom. Downsizing again, going to Mater Day with the career development, that was an opportunity, all right? That's, again, another movement sideways. And sometimes that is something that we can do professionally. We can move sideways professionally rather than what we start off with, but moving in different ways within that profession and still doing it, but doing it differently than you were doing it when you were 25, I think the clincher really came when I became secretary of the province, okay? I was ready to get out of school, and I was happy to leave school, only because of the fact that the school itself, Mater Dei, was changing, and I wasn't, I felt that being at the age I was, I wasn't capable of making those changes that were going to be there, and that the the group had to move on, and I had to move back. But the new careers advisor that was going to be there was going to take this group further, but that was a career change for her, and she needed that. So it it all worked out beautifully. And I need to interrupt your story right now as well with a big acknowledgement. It was six years that we shared together in leadership when uh, I was privileged to be a provincial and you were secretary to the province. My greatest enjoyment was working on you with the letters that would go out to the community, because we could sit there and argue about words and saying... Now, what are you trying to say here? I think if you use this word, this is going to be much better. But secretarial work was really not my passion. I was still doing some other things. I took a course in pastoral care at Holy Family Services and would go up there once a week to to actually sit with residents and talk with them. Uh, I was still working on my craft. I had a small craft group. I, I was going to spotlight for craft groups. And I was really disappointed when they decided that that they were no longer going to have the craft groups there. And you said, well, why not have one here? So we did. We got a small group of people together, and we worked on craft together once a week. And and that was really quite good because crocheting and knitting and loom knitting is, is, you know, is just fun to do. But it also is productive, and you can give these things away to other people or sell them or whatever. And until COVID came. Um, COVID really messed up a lot of things. But in another way, COVID did us a great favor in that we learned that we could use Zoom and um, technology in order to keep in contact with people. And even now, I'm still tutoring two students. I was tutoring, I only tutor about two or three students. I don't charge them for that tutoring simply because of the fact that in most cases, the family really couldn't afford it because of what they're doing with their children and their families anyway. But and these and these students sometimes only just need some help over some sort of a problem and then off they go. I'm working with average students who are still just needing help in particular areas to help them with that little struggle that they may be having. But being able to use the computer to Zoom it or Messenger it or, you know, to work on that has been really a safeguard for its safeguarding because the student is at home supervised by their parents and I'm here. 
So that safeguarding can actually occur. I think that, again, I would like to interrupt a little bit of your story, retiring from, retiring to, because we're in this part of the story. But what I picked on when we were talking about our work for the province, I think it's extremely important because in our life, we have things that we need to do. Mm -hmm. And it comes sometimes from... Well, necessity of life. Parents need to do what they have to do. They don't always yeah. enjoy their life. We have to do for the community what we had to do. And we did it. And we did it the best we could, right? Yeah. And that is connected with what we want to do or what we are good at. So would you say that your retiring from to retiring to was based on what she wants to do? Yeah, I think it did. I think I wasn't ready when I was leaving Mater Day, when I was actually leaving school, okay, in 2010, in 2010. I wasn't ready to totally say, I'm retired. I needed to find some kind of outlets that would help me to, as I say, keep my sanity, keep me busy so that I wouldn't go into depression because there's nothing worse than not having anything to do and then go into depression. I wanted to be happy. And like even with lay people, they'll say, okay, this, this importance of really thinking about retiring from to retiring to, developing skills and habits, taking a course, learning a language, um, meeting with people in different kinds of ways. One of the things that has really changed my prayer life over the past two or three years has been an actual Bible study with groups, with a group of people. And once a meet, week, we three meet to discuss the, the scriptures. So, you know, it's, it's been working with different people that also has helped me to keep a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And what I hear in your sharing, it's to be a constant learner. Yeah. It's a person who always discovers something else, maybe what wasn't used in the past, you said previously that you ask yourself early enough, what would I do when I retire? But you also shared with me, and I can share even what you didn't share right now to our listeners, that you have been a person who always had a hobby, had passion, you are interested in cricket, you were at some stage doing prayer beats, uh, you were playing flute, ukulele, crocheting, and so many other things. That is a little bit of a kind of movement that I believe somehow probably helps you now to say, okay, I'm not interested or not capable because of the health reasons of this, but I have uh, still debt to choose from. Yeah, I think that, that what is really, really very important is, is that the interests and the experiences that we offer children because my musical background comes from my being a child. My parents taught, had me taught piano. In that time, I learned how to play organ, harmonica, violin, because the sisters offered violin. Wasn't a very good violinist, okay. <laughs> um, skip that. I did try to pick, try to pick up ukulele. I, I learned something, you know, and in each of these, I may have learned something. I've never brilliant at it, and I didn't expect to become a concertina pianist or whatever it, whatever it was, or go on stage with, with my music ability. 
It did provide an interest at the time as well as enjoyment. That, I think, is the key to it. I used to be able to cook. I can't do that now. I enjoyed cooking and baking and and doing those kinds of things at one stage. But you have to also realize that when one door shuts, you need to look for another window or another door to see what is open, what can be done. That, I think, is a kind of a resilience. This comes back to my, we're raising snowflakes. We need to teach our children to be resilient people because if they don't have any of that resilience, they melt when they meet the first, either the first objection, the first difficulty, the first whatever it is, they melt. That isn't good. Absolutely. When one door shuts, the other will open, but keep being resilient. This is a message from Sister Jean. We talked about professional career development. We talked about retiring from, retiring to. to. We talked about the meaningful interest in our life and preparing ourselves for changes, for different stages. We need a final message from Sister Jean. Well, I would like to leave people with two Bible passages. The one is from Romans 8, 28, 30. And it says here that as we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And for those whom he predestined, he also called. And for those he called, he justifies. And for those whom he justifies, he sanctifies. I believe that each person has been given by God a special plan for their lives. It's really important that we find out what that plan is. And part of that plan is career development. Part of that plan is helping students learn subjects that that they are interested in school, but also learn the, the other subjects that they may not be so good at, but they need to know in order to be citizens of the country. In that struggle and in that development, then we recognize what the student is really good at because those particular skills and talents and abilities that he develops are going to serve the community, and whether it's as a doctor or as a, as a mechanic or as a, as a musician or as an artist. That is serving the community as well as serving himself. And I think that that's all tied with our eternal destiny. And then the second one is, is that comes from Ephesians 2.10, where Paul says that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which were prepared in advance and advanced for us to do. So, you know, if we're doing these things that are with inside of us, and it's really important to find out what God has put inside of us so that we can use it. And if we are using it, then we are fulfilling God's plan. And if we're fulfilling God's plan... That is what, from all eternity, he had us doing. He wanted us to do. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. And even more amazing, it's your body language right now. Passion in which you describe what is important for you. I just would like to thank you for this conversation. It has been absolutely amazing 
new things that I learned about you. Uh-huh. And also, I think a beautiful, beautiful legacy that you are leaving behind you. There are generations of young people, kids first and young adults, and also sisters of our congregation. You are a great contributor to community life, always were, and always care about community. So for this, I say thank you. Thank you so much, Sister Jean, for everything what you shared with us today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will tune in again. Please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave your review. Feel welcome to visit my website, seekinggodsgrace.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again. Every blessing to you and your loved ones. Talk again soon.